0: What's up, Hockey Mountain High family? Welcome into another episode of your favorite podcast, Hockey Mountain High, your go-to podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. I'm your host, J.J. Jerez. With me, of course, is the man, the myth, Arif Dean. Arif, how you doing? How's it been? How was the game with fans back in the arena? I mean, that's how we ended last podcast. I think it's only right we start with that.
1: Every single one has been awesome. By the way, it's 9 p.m. on a Sunday, so cut JJ some slack, but it's your go-to avalanche podcast. What Not, did I say? You said your go-to podcast.
0: Oh, no, that's fine because it is your go-to you're, to yeah, your
1: go. Yeah, actually, yeah. I you're, wasn't wrong. Your go, I wasn't wrong. Your, go, your go-to everything podcast. Sorry, sorry. Let's, <laughs> glad we cleared that up. But it's been fun, dude. It's been so much fun. It's been an entirely, honestly, it feels like a new season. These last three games feel like an entirely new season. Having the fans back in, having the cheers and the boos and the oohs and the ahs, having the fan experience back in. You know, Rachel Richlinski are, are in in, uh, in arena host and doing all the fun stuff and the intermission sh- stuff and the three-star selection at the end of the game. They didn't do that, you know, during the, during the empty crowds because media doesn't care about that. They're on a Zoom call. Mm-hmm. So hearing the Star Wars theme and all of that, being back up in the press box and hearing fans from the – section right below you saying stupid shit all throughout the game (laughs) it's it's i missed it i missed it so much it was 385 days between that game against the rangers last year and then the one against the coyotes this year and that doesn't even talk about the fact that that coyotes game was insane we will get into that later in the pod but in terms of having the fans back it's it's an entirely new nhl season
0: tell me about the vibe i mean from tv Perspective, you could definitely hear the fans. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't nearly as as loud as you are used to, but it oh, was yeah. nice to hear natural fans, real fans, and it, it was just good to hear. You know, especially while well, Grubauer's doing his interview, landis kogs doing his interview. Yeah, you got the Gru, The fans are interrupting him and cheering him so loud that he can't even talk. So, tell me about just the general vibe in the building.
1: It's so much fun, and maybe, I mean, it's not maybe. It's for sure. It's I've forgotten what eighteen thousand people sounds like that 4,000 people sounds freaking loud it is so loud in there the oohs and the ahs and the cheers and the boos and you know after the after the and penalties from the first game against st louis after that every time the refs skated onto the ice for the second third for the first second and third period on saturday and for the second and third period on sunday they were treated to, you know they were they were treated to booze as they came on and they're just they've come back the, the the crowd has come back with all of this passion kind of trying to make up for all of that inability to being able to do this for so long. I mean, you know, in a regular season, there's those games where it's kind of a drag. The crowd really isn't in it. It's a Tuesday night against Columbus or Carolina or whatever it may be.
0: Or a Wednesday night against Arizona.
1: or a Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So Wednesday night against Arizona and you're expecting, you know, not much of a crowd reaction. But the 4,000 people from that game and then from the next two games where it was more than just the frontline workers, it was truly a lot of fun. Like, it's really, really loud in there. The atmosphere is fun. They're engaged with every single part of the game down to the commercial breaks and the fun stuff that happens then it's 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 hard to explain how much different it is to be at these games i'm actually curious what it sounds like on tv compared to the fake audio because i think the fake audio on tv sounds a lot more realistic than it does in person in person it did not sound right and now it sounds like real hockey again
0: Honestly, I, I feel like on TV you couldn't really hear the fake noise all that well. It was definitely more noticeable in person, whereas on TV you could definitely hear the real crowd. And you know, it, it's night and day in my opinion. It's just so much more natural. But I mean, I think the uh, the biggest thing is like you said, Wednesday against Arizona with the nine to three win from the Avalanche. I mean, it was obvious that the home crowd. Created a spark for the team. I mean, Don Skoy's hat-trick in the first period, and it was just a big first period from the Avalanche. You saw it the night before with the Nuggets, 44 points in the first quarter. So I wa- what I want to ask you is, obviously there's an impact that the crowd is making, but how long does this last? Because for a long time, hockey hasn't really had a home ice advantage.
1: Well, it's, it's as simple as this. The Avalanche are 17-4-2 at home this re- this this year. So if you add that up, that's 21, 22, 23 games. How many home games are there this year? There's only 28. They've only got five more games at Ball Arena before the playoffs start in about five weeks. That's the average of one per week. So is it going to be – which is crazy to think because they just had that ridiculous March schedule of home games and they won every single friggin game (laughs) almost. (laughs) But is it going to die down anytime soon? I don't think so. Not for this team because there's only five of them left. And then it's the playoffs, and playoffs in a pandemic, playoffs in a regular world. It's the playoffs, and the playoff atmosphere is going to be buzzing. I'm hoping by then there's going to be more than four thousand fans. I think I think the vaccination rollout has kind of sh- shockingly surprised me with how good it's going to the point where I would not be surprised if this team has, you know, seven, eight, nine thousand fans by the time the playoffs come around, if not more. I I could be totally in over my head, but it just seems like things are going so well that that's the way things are headed.
0: I like that point of uh, only five games being left at home for the rest of the schedule because I think if you would have had the March schedule here in April where you got a ton of home games then yeah I think that home ice advantage might fade a little bit but with the five I you're you're spot on I think the the energy is going to maintain I mean they're pretty spread out still 19 games left and only five home games so you know you've got three games three days you got almost a, a two weeks in between home games sometimes. So I think that energy is still going to be there, which is going to be nice for uh, the players because I think they're obviously feeding off it and it obviously made an impact. So if there's only five left and then rolling into playoffs, I think that energy is still going to be at an all-time high.
1: Yeah, you know, if, if you remember about a month ago, once this month started up, Jared Bednar right away was on top of this fan thing. He was constantly making comments about how I wish there would be fans back at Ball Arena. And this is when, you know, only the Dallases and the Florida's and teams like that had fans and then eventually Pennsylvania and then Ohio and the state slowly started to um, announce that they were going to allow fans back in the rink that Jared was on top of it right away because he knew the bulk of the home games. And I mean, the Avalanche knew because it's a moneymaker. The bulk of the home games was coming in a 30 day stretch from March 5th until April 3rd. To be exact. 16, uh, 15 of them, 15 of the home game, 15 of the games between March 5th and April 4th or April 3rd yesterday over those 29 days or 30 days, there was 15 home games and two road games. They tried to get it as quick as they can. They only caught it for the last three, which is fine. Um, but that's why they tried so hard for it. But at the same time, you know, like you just said, if they were able to catch this two, three weeks ago, it would have been great. And, you know, the avalanche would have made a lot more money, but it kind of the, the this novelty would have started to die down. But now you have 30, 35, 36 days left of the regular season. You've got five home games. It literally is one one every seven days on average, not literally one every seven days, but it's an average of one per week. And that novelty is not going to fade. And then the playoffs are going to come around and the novelty is not going to fade because it's the playoffs. And if we're expecting the Avalanche to make the run, they are, it's only going to get louder and louder and more fans are going to be allowed in. and It's going to get even more intense and after a playoff bubble that we saw last year, I think more than ever this year, home ice advantage is going to be a thing, and it's not just for the Avs. It's for everyone.
0: Absolutely. So, yeah, let's, uh, you know, I think the 9-3 to three win was important, but I, I kind of want to get into that a little bit later. I think more importantly I th- was the St. Louis series, right? I mean, it was kind of a question mark. It had been a while since we'd seen St. Louis. Kind of two teams heading in two different directions. We've talked before about how sweeping teams is, is just really tough this year, and the Avs have been doing a good job of, of taking care of business on that front, but pretty strong in, in both games. And, uh, you know, the Avs kind of t- took care of business and, and shut things down, especially when you look at that second period in the second game. You know, it really could have gone either direction, and the Avs prevailed.
1: Yeah, and, and that's the cool thing about this team right now is okay, number one, the Blues suck. <laughs> Let's let's get let me get through that first because if you remember back in December when we did a preseason podcast with Chris Johnston from Sportsnet, CJ talked a lot about how he doesn't feel like and we all we agreed with him we kind of had this conversation together that the Blues should be discussed in the same conversation as the Avalanche and the Vegas Golden Knights and we're seeing exactly that right now and I'm so glad we're seeing that and not only am I glad surprise surprise to say this out loud I'm glad Minnesota has being as good as they've been. To basically show the blues that hey, you're not even a top three team. And right now they're not even a top four team. Arizona's ahead of them, and they're tied in points and games with the San Jose Sharks. That should tell you all you need to know about the blues. And uh you know, you know Raj from Altitude Radio. Yeah. Mm, so yeah. Raj Raj <laughs> made a comment about uh Jordan Bennington that stuck out to me. He said Jordan Bennington is Cam Ward with a with a terrible attitude, and that's literally what he is. He's a guy that strike struck gold, won a Stanley Cup. And, you know, kind of like Cam Ward in, in Carolina, the only difference is Cam Ward's a pretty likable guy. Jordan Binnington is just a pain in everybody's ass. And that's the way that I see him too. So now that we're through talking about how much the Blues suck, let's talk about how good this Avalanche team is. Because it's already hard enough to sweep teams. It's already hard enough for the Avalanche to play a team that is a lot bigger, a lot more physical, and a lot more uh, assertive in, the, in, in terms of really playing that game. But the Avs came out in the second game after pretty much you know, doing away with them in the first one. Granted, it was only a 3-2 game. They came out in the second game. The Blues came out strong in the beginning. They had the first seven shots. They were hitting the avalanche. They were starting fights. Robert Bortuzzo was bullying Valerie Nichushkin in the first period. That's what led to Liam O'Brien wanting to fight him. He was bullying Nichushkin, just trying to get under everybody's skin.
0: I mean, I think that first game that was the St. Louis Blues' mo. I think their whole game plan was to come out and say, "Hey, let's try to let's try our hardest to bully these guys," and then it didn't work. They couldn't keep up with the team. You ended up seeing the Avs just skate circles around them, and you know their whole physical side. And you saw game two kind of tone down a little bit, in my
1: opinion. So Devon Taves a couple uh, couple games ago, two, three, four games ago, I said something. I asked him something along the lines of. Uh, you know, this team came out physical. They, I think it was the Anaheim game that came out physical. They tried to fight. It definitely was the Anaheim game, and they tried to fight you. They tried to hit you. They tried to do all these things. How do you guys react when something like that happens? And he said, no matter who we're playing, no matter how we're playing, we're always going to play our game. And I love that. I absolutely love that. All Jared Bednar did was kind of drew an audible and said, hey, Liam O'Brien, kid that likes to fight and hit everything, you get five minutes in this game just to piss off Robert Bortuzzo. But – we're not going to get away from the game that we play. In that second game, the Blues out hit the Avalanche eighteen to eight. But did it feel like the Avalanche were walked all over physically? Not at all.
0: No, I mean exactly. They just couldn't keep up with them. I mean, yes. it, it goes back to the conversation about referees, right? Like we had last week on any series, any shift, you could see two, three penalties, but the the other team just can't keep up with these guys.
1: Yeah, and and that's the that's the reality. They're 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 playing this style of game where they're forecheck and their pressure that they put on the opposition as soon as they get the puck, whether it's a four check or a back check, is so relentless that you you cannot breathe when you're playing the avalanche. When Tyson Jost or Logan O'Connor or Ryan Graves, who had a terrible start to the season, Valerie Nichushkin, when these guys are on you, as soon as you get the puck, you don't even know what to do with yourself. And that doesn't even, you know, account for the better defensive players on the avalanche like Landis Gog, like Kadri, who are just really good at really applying that pressure. Nobody can keep up with this team right now. And the Blues, this tells you all you need to know about the level of team they are right now compared to the level of team that the Avalanche are.
0: Yeah, let's let's look back at game one because I think that was monumental. And the reason being was Jonas Johansson getting his first W in an Avs sweater, right? I mean, we saw yes. his first game in action, and it was an overtime loss. And we gave him a lot of credit because we said, hey, you stood in there, you stopped some pucks, the Avs still got a, got away with a point, and most importantly, Grubauer got a rest. Well, this was a huge difference, in my opinion, because not only did he play better, but he got the W. He started off weak, right? That first goal snuck in, and you're like, oh, God, it's about to be yeah. another one. And um, instead, he kind of... I mean, the Avs protected him. He only faced 25 shots, right? But he he looked like a completely different goalie to me. He looked a little bit more confident, and he just looked more like the like the guy that they were looking for. I mean, I know we pumped his tires for being that guy, but he's just picking up his game a little bit, and maybe it's just a couple weeks worth of work with um, UC Parkala, or maybe it's just simply just being more comfortable. But either way, he Buffalo. looks better. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, and I mean that's the thing. Like after he let in that first goal and if you if you're 6 foot 4 and 200 something pounds and you let in a goal tightly against the post like that, there's the problem. And again, I'm not the goalie guy, that's you, but he wasn't tight to his post and after right. that goal went in, it was I would have
0: stopped that one. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was one of those things where you're like, "Okay, this is going to be an issue." He also let in a goal on his first shot against Arizona if you remember. So, Bednar yeah. pointed that out kind of like he did that again, and he was a little bit worried, but then he really, truly settled in. He stopped some breakaways. He made some good saves on the PK. He came up for this team when they needed it most, and, and the most important thing is the Avalanche didn't bail. I mean, yes, they protected him a little bit by only letting him face 25 shots, but number one, he had to make big saves. Number two, the Avs only scored three goals. They didn't score five, six, seven and he has that leeway to be able to say hey we're up 8 to 3 or whatever it is on Arizona i can let in a couple more goals it wasn't that it was a one goal game when the final buzzer sounded the avalanche really never built 3 4 goal leads in this game at any point so johansson had to be alert and had to be on his game the entire time and that's my favorite part about this is that you know they didn't win 5 to 2 when he let in two goals or 6 to 2 when he let in two goals They won a three-to-two game where the Blues pulled their goalie at the end and tried to apply pressure, and he stuck to his game the entire time.
0: Right, and the third period is really when he shined the the brightest. I thought, you know, you saw. uh, I think it was one breakaway save, which was huge, and then just a couple big sequence saves from him in the third period that just kept kept the ABS in the game. And it wasn't the most important win, but like you said. what that win did was drop St. Louis out of a playoff spot. So, you know, you're kind of taking care of your own dirty work by, by, by doing that stuff, right? I mean, you get Arizona and you get Minnesota in the playoffs. I don't think it's either of us. Th- I mean, honestly, I think it's proven St. Louis isn't a threat either.
1: Yeah, and, and I think the coolest thing about this is, and this, this just came to my mind literally five seconds ago, but how smart of a decision is it for Jared Bednar to go with Johansson in game one? So think about this. The second game is always harder to win. The Blues came out stronger in the second game as the team that lost game one usually does. And that's the game that Grubauer was there to save the day. Because I don't think Johansson wins that second game because the Blues had so many more chances. Not to you know not to take away anything from the, the saves in the game he had in game one, but Bednar kind of planned for this and kind of forecasted that, hey, we're going to beat St. Louis in game one. They're going to come out stronger and Grubauer is going to be there to play his game coming off of a rested night.
0: How smart th- is that? I think that's fair. You're right. It was really strategic of him. I mean, you saw the VGK Vegas Golden Knights series. I think that was big. I kind of expected a rest out of Grubauer after that one, right? Because it was like, oh, exhale. We got a big win out of the out of a big series, and yeah. let's rest a little bit. But they, they kept it going in Anaheim. They kept it going in Arizona. And after a 9-3 win, then I think you're kind of safe, you know, that the team's been buzzing, the team climbed finally safe at the top of the standing. So I think that was a great time to, to throw in Jonas Johansson. But I, I like your um, analysis a little bit better because just, just the uh, way the two game sets are going, it seems like a smarter play to throw in that first one. So uh, yeah, I love that.
1: Yeah, and let's, let's not take away from the fact that, you know, we're, we're sitting here talking about how nobody can really stop the Avalanche right now. Vegas did win that second game in overtime. Uh, Minnesota had no chance against the Avalanche at Ball Arena, and obviously that's who the Avalanche are playing next. But the Vegas Golden Knights just lost two in a row in regulation to the Minnesota Wild, both of them at home. So Minnesota went into Vegas and swept the Golden Knights four points to none. Again, we're talking about how hard it is to do that. Now, not only did the Avalanche do that to the Blues at home, but the Vegas Golden Knights had that done to them in their own rink. So, if the Avs come in this next couple games and make, you know, do away with the Minnesota Wild like they did a couple weeks ago, again in two games, what does that tell you about the Wild and the Golden Knights and the competition they're going to provide the Avalanche in the playoffs?
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess you can, by that logic, kind of consider Vegas a little bit weaker of a team, at least weaker than the Avalanche are right now. Um, But I think a a big crutch for the Vegas Golden Knights right now, I just think the goaltending isn't performing at the level it was the first half of the season. I mean... You know, I love Marc-Andre Fleury, but he just hasn't been himself. And I felt that way during the Avalanche series. He just didn't look like he was on top of it and wasn't as sharp as we had seen him in the past. So, you know, I think that's looking a little shaky. And in, that's, a, that's a, in the Avs' favor, right? I mean, that's a great I mean, thing.
1: I mean, as silly as it sounds, and, and this has kind of been Fleury's MO since his time with Pittsburgh, as soon as there's a backup goalie breathing down his neck, his game's not as strong. And as soon as Robin Leonard returned from his injury, Flurry tailed off. Yeah. And that's I think that's the biggest issue right now. The biggest issue for for Vegas is, you know, going back to last year, and I'll s i will I said it then and I'll say it now, they didn't need to make that trade for Robin Leonard. And if you did, you didn't need to re sign him. There was no point. There was no reason to. You didn't need to do that to Flurry, but they did. And you know what? That's only going to work in the Avalanche's favor. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to sit here and get ahead of myself and say the Avalanche are going to breeze through the playoffs because Vegas can still beat them. Minnesota can beat them. Hell, Arizona might you know, – Arizona is not going to upset them. But, you know, any, <laughs> anybody can beat anybody in the playoffs, especially in the seven-game series. Things change. The Calgary Flames swept the Avalanche in the regular season a couple years ago. The Avalanche came out, ripped them into shreds in the playoffs in just a five-game series after losing game one. So anything could happen, and that's very much understandable. But what we're seeing right now is the Avalanche are separating themselves from the pack, not just in terms of standings, but in terms of the way they're playing and winning every single game.
0: And I think the biggest reason for that, and I feel like I kind of failed to fully grasp this in the first half of the season when I was kind of bitching left and right about how they were playing, (laughs) But just the health is so important, right? I mean, it's yeah. so obvious and so important that now that they're finally healthy, they've been crushing it and just buzzing around teams and not even having an issue. So we well, saw yes, yes, Brandon, Yeah. They're, they're, real they're, quick. We saw ahead. the brain and injury last night. Yeah. Right? And in my head I'm like, Oh God, here we go again. Here's the first domino to fall of multiple dominoes. So I'm a little bit nervous about that because we've seen it in the past and suddenly, you know, there's still 19 games left. There's plenty of time for players to drop off. But that Brandon Sod injury has kind of got me having PTSD suddenly.
1: Well, I mean, here's the thing.
0: But he he's he went the, back in the game. He went back
1: did, game. He did come back and, you know, who knows if he's going to play against Minnesota. I would not be surprised if, you know, we suddenly hear, "Yeah, whatever was aggravating him from blocking that shot is going to keep him out." And Bednar's going to say again what he said 15 times, "I'm not going to play guys when they're hurt. I'm going to give them rest because we have the bodies," which is true. Matt Calvert isn't playing for that reason. Logan O'Connor missed a couple games. JT Confer missed a couple games. Val Nichushkin missed one. Brandon Saad might miss one. So those are a lot of guys. Connor Timmins, we haven't heard from him in God knows how long. I think yeah, he what's has up a, with him. I don't know. I think he has a concussion.
0: Has to uh, be right. It has. I mean, to that's be. the only thing that would keep him lingering this long.
1: Dennis Gilbert fought Keegan Colasar way way back in in mid-February we haven't seen him since granted we knew at the time it was going to be a six to eight week injury which is kind of where we are now Eric Johnson hasn't been around obviously so there's a lot of guys that have been in and out of the lineup the injuries are still happening but it's not happening to the guys that are going to hurt you and and, and don't get me wrong Brandon Saad has been a pretty good player even though he doesn't have you know a lot of points he's got 20 points in 34 games I believe it is and 11 goals Um, Brandon Saad wasn't brought in here to put up 50 points in the regular season. Brandon Saad was bought in here because he's a playoff performer. He's done it twice with the Blackhawks. He helped the Columbus Blue Jackets for a couple of years, and that's where his game is going to thrive, hopefully. But if Brandon Saad misses next game, that's not the worst thing in the world because you have this shiny toy named Giannis Donskoy sitting on the third line with 15 goals on pace for over 30 goals in an 82-game season, which we're obviously not having this year. From the third line.
0: From the third line. From exactly. the third
1: line, and that's the most fascinating part. So,
0: But in my opinion, don't fix what's not broken. I mean, if that third line is creating yeah, points for yeah. Jonas Donskoy, then leave the third line alone. But that's a good t- uh, chance for us to kind of look at the Logan O'Connor injury, right? I mean, we're kind of bummed that he's— Slotted out of the lineup because we've liked what he's produced here on the Hockey Mountain High podcast, but that gave us a chance to to see Liam O'Brien. I mean, new signing of the Avalanche, and he stepped in, kind of showed his grit, showed his toughness, and just kind of immediately made the Avalanche a little bit more feared of a team, a little bit more physical.
1: Yeah, and the cool thing, the coolest thing about Liam O'Brien is, I think the Avalanche did something. You know, Benders, wait, wait, wait.
0: The coolest thing about Liam O'Brien is his Irish is, ass is name.
1: His, is his Irish ass Ah, name. Yeah. Liam. Liam O'Brien. Yes. Le- Liam, yeah. He sounds like a <laughs> leprechaun. <laughs> um, but the coolest thing about Liam, Le- and he kind of has like that ginger beard. He's, yeah. he's, got, he's got a lot of Irish swag to him. Hello, awesome. my
0: name is Liam O'Brien.
1: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So <laughs> the coolest thing about Liam O'Brien is that I think Bednar really played it perfectly. He knew that they were going into a series with a far more physical team. That has, you know, everybody's favorite free agent, Kyle Clifford. Uh, and he, he brought in Liam O'Brien to play that role, and he did exactly what he wanted. And that's what I asked him yesterday. I said, you know, knowing that he fought Bertuzzi, was this exactly what you forecasted Liam O'Brien or Liam O'Brien's role to be? To be that agitator? And he said, that's part of it. He's a very physical guy. He's got a lot of heart. He plays with that edge. And, and that's what the Avalanche wanted from this guy, and that's what he provided. Now, Logan O'Connor's injury, again, I'm not going to think about it as too serious of an injury because all of these guys, I'll go back to, I'll revert back to Nichushkin missing a game, JT Comfort being healthy and still sitting for a couple games. Jared Bednar in, in any other season when you're 13th forward is, let's say, Gabriel Bork. I know I like to rip on him a lot but that's just you know someone in the recent history of the avalanche when that's your 13th forward and matt calvert is kind of banged up or jt is kind of banged up they're gonna be like i'm good to go coach play me and coach is gonna be like okay i'm gonna play you because you're better than the alternative but when you have logan o'connor and liam o'brien and all these guys sitting on the sidelines why why are you gonna force it when when tyson jose is playing as good as he's been as a third line center why are you gonna rush back jt comfort When you can take Logan O'Connor when he was healthy and put him into Nachushkin's spot on the third line or put Confer up on the third line, why are you going to force these guys to play when they're kind of banged up? And that's what Jared's been saying is I'm not going to play these guys when they're kind of hurt. And then his favorite thing to say is, and then you turn a day-to-day injury into a week-to-week injury. So that's kind of the way that I'm feeling about Logan O'Connor. And now what you have in O'Brien is another guy. That's not TJ Tynan. That's not Sheldon Dries, or as Bednar calls him, Drees. Um, These guys that, let's face it, you don't really want to see them in the lineup. It's cool to see Logan O'Connor in the lineup. It's now good to see Liam O'Brien in the lineup. And now suddenly you have 14, 15 guys that you can play on any given night that you're comfortable with.
0: Yeah, I mean, honestly... I wish Liam O'Brien had a little bit more skill on the offensive side of it. But I mean, a guy like him if, is exactly did, what I was looking for, right? Yeah, I mean, if that's he did, exactly
1: he would, if he did he would be making four or five million a year and his name's Tom Wilson. Go on. Y-
0: yeah, exactly. But that's exactly what the, what we were calling for on the last podcast. Yeah. So your question to Jared Bednar should have really been. How much Hockey Mountain High you've been listening to? Because you've been taking a whole lot of our ideas lately. <laughs>
1: yeah, and by the way, let's 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 not uh, forget to mention this: um, the Avalanche have made a couple of free agent, co- sorry, college signings of players that they've drafted in the past. One of them is Sampo Ranta that was announced yesterday. I don't think he's going to play any games with the Avalanche this year. But the other one is Alex Newhook, who can play six regular season games without burning a year of his entry level deal, and I think. Bednar's probably going to use him, assuming he does pretty well with the Eagles in his first stint. So that's another body. That's somebody you can play for up to six games. You're not going to play him in the playoffs because then he burns a year like McCarr did in 2019. But that's another guy. Now you suddenly have another guy that you can play where if, you know, Brandon Saad or Nazem Kadri or one of these guys are kind of banged up going into where we are now, which is the last four to five weeks of the regular season— it's going to be all right, Nas. You're sitting for a game. Alex Newhook, come on in. You're you're going to play second line center. Welcome to the show, kid. So you yeah. have those options.
0: As long as he doesn't burn his ELC, and I yeah. feel like the ABS are very weary about stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, they're right? they're and, not going to burn him. They're not yeah, going to burn him. You look at Shane Bowers, and he hasn't even gotten a sniff of the NHL yet. I think the ABS love to keep their young guys in the AHL to just you know let them ripen a little bit. I think Why rush did. it? Exactly. Look how good this team is now. It, it strikes you as kind of an antiquated, you know, mindset because, you know, that's kind of an old school mentality like, oh no, you got to you got to earn your stripes in the AHL first, right? But with the plethora of talent that this team has, there's just no reason to bring up these guys Dude, and rush them.
1: Look at look at what the Red Wings did for so many years. The reason why they were able to keep their guys in the AHL is because the guys in the NHL were good. This isn't Tyson Jost joining a team that had Renee Bork and Joe Colburn and all these guys and then suddenly they rushed him into the NHL, which I still think they did. This is, you know, the Red Wings waiting until Gustav Nyquist was 24 before he was a rookie or 23 and Thomas Tatar waiting until he was 22 or 23. Look at the Pittsburgh Penguins. Jake Gensel, Brian Rust. Have you ever heard the joke, the running joke that a lot of podcasts make about the Penguins where they call up a random guy you've never heard of him before and he plays well? Zach Aston Reese. Like all these guys, they come out of nowhere. Brian Rust. Who the hell is Brian Rust? You don't know who these guys are. They stick them with Crosby and Malkin, and they play well. And that's because they're overly ripened in in the AHL. They're 22. They're 23. They're ready for the game. So that's kind of what the Avalanche are doing now. Shane Bowers. 100% they're doing that now. People are going to forget about Shane Bowers. People are going to forget about Martin Kaut. And, you know, they're both first-round draft picks. They're going to come in, and they're going to play a good game in a couple years when you need guys on entry-level deals. So yes, with Newhook, that's the big thing. There is absolutely no reason to burn the first year of his deal. But at the same time, he's a skilled player. He's a good kid. If you start to build separation, which they have now in the West Division, and Nazem Kadri's a little banged up, hell, Nathan McKinnon needs a night off, welcome to the show, kid. You're playing in the top six. It's yeah. a reason. It's reasonable to think.
0: And to your point, you know, how many guys have we seen on this Avalanche roster play a couple games, even if it's just one game, that nobody expected to even, or people hadn't even heard of to start the season, right? I mean, you got McDonald, you got O'Brien, you got Renouf. I I don't think, you know, and the list goes on. There's plenty of names that you did not even anticipate ever even smelling a a minute in an Avalanche sweater this year that are playing some quality minutes right now.
1: I mean, look at the guys that the Avalanche have had to use in the past. Guys like, let's say, Michael Scarbosa or guys like uh, any of these AHL guys, Mark Alt on defense, where you, they come up and they don't succeed. But now you have Jacob McDonald who comes up and succeeds because it's a good team. He's in a good situation. You have guys on forward like Liam O'Brien. Let's face it, man. Liam O'Brien's a great story. But if this was somebody that the Avalanche were bringing up three years ago, we would have been like, here we go again with the Avs, bringing up nobodies to play on a nothing team. That's not the case anymore, and that's what makes, that's what sets, you know, players up for success is putting them in a situation and on a team where you're going to succeed. Now look at Dan Renouf, for example. Look how good he is this year. Four years ago, he appeared in the NHL with the Detroit Red Wings. That was the first year the Red Wings had missed the playoffs after their 25-year playoff streak. He was put in a bad situation on a bad team, probably had to play more minutes than he could handle, and then didn't sniff the NHL again for three years until now. So that's kind of the way that the Avalanche are going right now. And that's just what happens when you have this good of a team.
0: Yeah, let's not ignore the obvious value add too, right? When you got some scrub defensemen playing and looking better than they actually are, suddenly they have a little bit more of trade value than they would have six months ago, for example, right? So just simply throwing these guys in there, having them look good with some talent, immediately makes the plethora of defense around the Avalanche even deeper.
1: Yeah, and, and and that's what that's what you need when the playoffs come because when the playoffs come around, and this is kind of something that I've been thinking about is, you know, let's take the Tampa Bay Lightning, for example. Last year in the playoffs, the Lightning used 10 defensemen. They had games where guys like Brayden Shen, sorry, not Brayden Shen, but Luke Shen and Zach Bogosian were playing on the top line with Victor Hedman. So that's what you're going to need in the playoffs. Right now, the Avalanche have the six that they're playing, and that includes Dan Renuff, and that includes Jacob McDonald you know let's say eric johnson doesn't come back this year because it, it just it doesn't look like that's what's going to happen you've got these six guys you've got bowen Byram, that's seven you've got maybe connor timmons you've got maybe dennis gilbert that's eight that's maybe nine you need that many bodies if gilbert and timmons are both going to be healthy well Gil- gilbert timmons and and renouf are going to give you those guys that you need you know i'm not going to say greg patterson cuz he hasn't done Dick all with the avalanche this year, but those are the players that you're going to need every once in a while. They're going to need to step into the lineup. And if they do, you need to have faith that they're going to hold their ground.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, not much more we could say about the team. Everything's looking really good. Even, even the depth is uh, looking deeper than we thought it was. And that's kind of one of the biggest strengths of this team. So everything at this point, after being a little bit, um, I guess, underwhelming two months ago is now, overperforming. I would say everything is better than we expected it to be on all fronts of this team, right? I mean, that just you look at any stat line and the Avalanche are leading in pretty much everything. So now it's just a, a 180 shift from being almost a disappointment team to being better than we thought they were going to be.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and that's it's just everything is going right now and that going right for the Avalanche right now, and that's the best thing about having a team that's kind of bought into the system that they have is no matter who you insert, where you insert them, you know, I'm not telling you to have Liam O'Brien play up there with McKinnon and Landeskog, but if you insert these guys into depth roles, they're going to succeed in those roles, and that's what you need.
0: Right, right. If I told you I could get you a nice little bet at plus one... $11,300. Eleven thousand three hundred. Would you take it?
1: I don't care what it is. Eleven
0: thousand three hundred. So don't care essentially, what is. I will take it. If you were to throw down ten bucks, you win eleven thousand forty dollars, or eleven $1, hundred forty dollars. Um, that guy. is currently the two leg <laughs> parlay. If you throw in the ABS to win the cup and the Denver Nuggets to win the NBA championship. Really? That's what you could get. I mean, I know it's a long shot, but both teams are looking good, especially when you look at the Avalanche. That's
1: not a bad take at all. That's absolutely not, not a bad take, especially considering what the Nuggets have done at the deadline and what we're hoping the Avalanche do with a goalie.
0: Right. I think that was huge. That's actually something I wanted to get into. I'm glad you reminded me because that move that the Nuggets made, I mean, it took them from being a somewhat contender to now they just look like, hands down one of the best teams in the NBA and if the avs can make a similar move i mean they already look like hands down one of the best teams in the NBA so it doesn't or in the yeah. NHL so it doesn't have to be a blockbuster move they're so move. good
1: they're beating the lakers
0: <laughs> but the, yeah lebron doesn't stand a chance against nathan mckinnon um but yeah you you add one little piece and suddenly you can go from just being one of the top teams in the league to being a oh my goodness this team is legit
1: and and who knows what that piece is i mean adding a jonathan bernier isn't going to really do that because bernier is there for two reasons he's there to win games as a backup and hopefully knock on wood not have to be used as a starter but if group hour does go down he would be there as a starter but in terms of a forward, I mean, maybe that's what the Avalanche want to do. I mean, again, if 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 you don't have enough roster spots for Logan O'Connor or JT Comfort to play every single night, that's a good problem to have. So
0: Right. I mean, look at Jonas Dunsky. Yeah, goal, he's right? on
1: the third line, and he's got 15 goals. And he was on the second line last year, and he's like, if I played this good last year, they would have, wouldn't have have went out and traded for Dan Brandon Saad. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, maybe it's a Kyle Palmieri. Maybe it's a defenseman of that stature. Who knows, man? Maybe they go out and do something – you know, completely off the board like Joe Sackick usually does because who the hell thought of Devon Taves last summer? Come on. That came completely right. out of the blue. That wasn't something that anybody thought was going to happen. Hell, Brandon Saad, same exact thing. So Joe Sackick likes to do that thing where you'll sit there and talk about the big deadline players this year are this guy or that guy, and then he'll go out and trade for a guy, and you'll be like, uh, that makes sense. I mean, Nemesnikov was that piece last year, but, you know, who can the Avalanche add to really put them over the, te- over the edge?
0: Yeah, and I mean, where do you even slot them? I mean, the top two lines are it's pretty cool, such a good team. I
1: mean, if you, <laughs> if you ask me, the Avalanche's trade deadline should be focused around two things. Joe Sackick's main goal, assuming Fran doesn't come back, which again, like EJ, I'm not confident that he will. Number one, it's to bring in a goalie. No disrespect to JJ, not you, but the other one. No disrespect to Giannis Johansson. He's a good player, but he's not somebody that you want to rely on in case an injury happens. So going out and bringing in someone like a Jonathan Bernier, even a Ryan Miller for all I care, bringing in somebody like that is Joe Sakic's tops of his to-do list. The second thing is what I was just talking about with the defenseman, bringing in depth guys, bringing in a guy, bringing in someone like Luke Shen, which, you know, maybe you go to Detroit and you bring in somebody like Jonathan Merrill. I know I mentioned that last podcast. So bringing in bodies like that that you can use because injuries are going to happen not if they happen but when they happen
0: it's also tough right now I mean you've seen how good the abs have been it's hard to break anything up right and you know you'd hope that they take it with a little bit of grain of salt and say okay how can we improve this team even though there's not too much to improve on um, but you know I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if they just say you know let's ride this team out see what it can do because it's it's been amazing the last fourteen games.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe the move to make is, and again, I, I hate to pick on him again, but maybe the move to make is trading someone like JT Comfort for a bigger name. You know, not going out and acquiring just a depth guy in Mesnikov or or a Derek Brassard from two years ago, but using a chip like JT Comfort, who's who's got some pretty good value. Let's not, you know, undersell what he can be, but obviously what he hasn't been all year this year. But using somebody like that to bring in a bigger name, um, you never know because he is $3.5 million on the salary cap. If you can bring in a good player who's $3.5 million but can also play in your top six when needed, that's pretty legit. And what's it going to cost you, a second, a third, maybe even your first-round draft pick? The Avalanche have a ton of picks, and they're, they're ready to win a cup. So at this point, Sakic has all the ammunition he needs to make a big trade if the right move was to come around.
0: So back to my question. Let's hear it. Do you take an Avalanche Nuggets parlay for both to win the championships?
1: I'd, I'd put 20 bucks on
0: that easily. With the payout, why not? I mean, the yeah. way the teams are looking. But, of course, the reason I asked you that question is because we got to take a quick second to talk about our friends at DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Not sure if you knew, but it's everyone's favorite tournament of the year, and the golfers are in Augusta, Georgia, to compete for the coveted jacket. And DraftKings... Sportsbook, America's top rated sportsbook app, is pulling you into the center of the action by giving you a shot to land in the green. This week, DraftKings is giving you 100 to 1 odds, again, just like they did last week with March Madness, on the golfer of your choosing to finish in the top 10. He doesn't even have to win. Top 10, 100 to 1 odds. If you haven't tried DraftKings yet, now is the time. And honestly, I don't know what you've been waiting for. I mean, this is all the buzz. Takes a lot of my time and a lot of my thoughts. So, turning one dollar into one hundred dollars is simple. Pick any golfer from this weekend's tournament, and if they finish in the top ten, you cash out one hundred dollars. One hundred to one odds. An offer like this doesn't come around often. So, sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook now to get in on all of the action and choose your golfer before the tournament tees off Thursday morning. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. So, you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So, download the top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use promo code MHS when you sign up to turn $1 into 100. If the golfer of your choosing finishes in the top 10 of this weekend's tournament, that's code MHS to turn $1 into 100 for a limited time only, only at DraftKings Sportsbook.
1: Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, new restrictions apply see draftkings.com slash sportsbook for details gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700 thanks for mentioning march Madison reminding me that michigan lost that heartbreaker but who's your guns... golfer
0: though who's your i golfer? don't really
1: have one i don't have one and I, i'm a little ashamed to say that because i'm i'm an old sports guy and and golf kind of has gotten away from me who's Who'd the go? guy that's who's the guy that's married to gretzky's daughter
0: Dustin Johnson I like him He's what cool What a boss he's a, he's a man I love yeah. him um, But yeah I'll go with Sergio Garcia Because last week I think he hit two hole-in-ones It was just the You know Not exactly the most intense tournament Not the most serious But he was able to land Two hole-in-ones At least one I can verify one I was watching it live So that's gonna be my guy Of course he's from Spain One of the best Spanish golfers around Besides John Ram You know I love the Spanish guy So I'm gonna go with him See if he can win me A hundred dollars When I just put down one Why not Top ten
1: yeah, I mean, the the only other name in golf that I know right now is Bryson DeChambeau, and that's because of the, the Chicklets podcast. And hearing Whitney talk about how much of a prick this guy is and how <laughs> how cocky he is. So I think he'd be my kind of guy just for that personality.
0: You know, I never used kinda to Kind of be... like a Chris pronger for golfers. Yeah, I never used to be uh, too deep into golf. But I think once the pandemic hit and it was on TV all, all, pretty often and I kind of just fantasized about playing golf by watching them, suddenly I, I found myself more of a golf fan than I've ever been. But I think in
1: order, in order to get average Joe Schmo fans like me into golfing, you need to do more of what they did with that Peyton Manning and Tom Brady thing where mic the golfers up and let their personalities go. That was a lot of fun to see.
0: Yeah, it was weird seeing like Tiger Woods in shorts, for example. That <laughs> yeah. was kind of weird. Let's not make it so casual. Um, but yeah, back to the Avalanche. This is Hockey Mountain High, after all. Um, we have to kind of, you know, backtrack a little bit. I know we talked about the St. Louis series first, but we gotta get into that nine-goal game from the Avalanche a little bit more in depth. I mean, Jonas Donskoy's hat trick in the first period was huge. You got the McKinnon-Garland situation. I mean, there's so much going on in that game, but even with the nine goals, it really seemed like the Nathan McKinnon situation kind of took precedence over everything else headline-wise.
1: Yeah, so let's not let's not get too far into what happened with the goals, um, but I will say this. Uh, as you said on a podcast called Hockey Mountain High once upon a time, as in last week. I've heard of the, it. The Avalanche score in bunches, and they scored five goals in the first seven minutes and 31 seconds. Three of them belonged to Giannis Donskoy. I believe it was in a a three-and-a-half-minute stretch. Glad we've cleared that up. They came out in the second period. Then they came out in the third period and scored another spurt of goals. They ended up with nine. Pierre-Edward Belmar got on the boards. Everybody was scoring. The second period
0: was scoreless, right?
1: I think so, or maybe they got one. I, don't I think know, Arizona kind of,
0: maybe got one early. Yeah, yeah. it
1: was kind of – everything's all jumbled now that mm-hmm. they've played the Blues game since. But, yeah, they, they, it was just an unbelievable game. Uh, the The Burakovsky goal, the one-timer from – I think it was a Kadri pass, the second goal of the game. Oh. As soon as – beautiful. And as soon as that one went in and the fans went nuts after the first goal from Dansko, you knew it was going to be one of those nights, and it Ooh. was. So – you know, we're we're let's not spend too much time on that because I want to talk about Garland and McKinnon. I want to talk about Nathan McKinnon going into a corner with, by the way, Connor Garland. If there's a guy that the Avalanche could bring in, that's the guy. That's your Blake Coleman.
0: Right. That's your. Uh, that is the guy.
1: I'm that's so your glad Liam
0: O'Brien just, combined with J.T. Confer.
1: Yes, I'm so glad I just thought of the fact that he is the guy that the Avalanche could bring in. That's that's the guy that puts you over the edge because Dang, he you is, must
0: have been listening to the hockey show this weekend
1: yeah, I actually was, but i I didn't think about that until just now. i I mean, I kind of was listening to it in passing. I don't you know like to listen to you that much.
0: Well, I said the, the same thing, so I feel like you're stealing oh, my did you? Here.
1: Oh, yeah. nice. okay, cool see, i didn't I didn't get to that part of the hockey show. I did talk I did get to the part where you guys talked about the Garland situation, but I don't remember that. Um, okay, so here's the thing. Connor Garland gets under your skin. You're Nathan McKinnon. You're sick of it. Whatever happened in the corner happened. Uh, you're going to rustle him to the ground. That's all fun and games. You end up with the helmet in your hand, and then you underhand toss it back at him, and he reacts like, what the hell? Because let's face it, not that Connor Garland was trying to oversell the helmet getting thrown at him. When you're sitting on the ice, you don't expect to have a helmet thrown at you. So when it clicked in his mind that a helmet is coming to me, it was already in the air, and it was about— right here a Coming few feet right away. yeah face. it was right <laughs> in front of his face and it's this big white ball and he's like oh my god and then it hits him and he kind of like reacts to it and then mckinnon kind of like dead fish skates right into him and he just shoves it it was just a weird situation um worth the five thousand dollars as jared bedner said after the game uh i think his wallet's going to be a little bit lighter and and you know mckinnon probably was glad to throw that five thousand dollars to gary Bittman and be like i i, I got him um I had no problem with it. I thought it was really cool. I thought it was fun to see (laughs) McKinnon finally sort of. And again, like I say that as an adult. I don't say that as a child. It's like, ah, he threw a helmet at him. He didn't go overboard. Yeah, what he did was wrong. You're not supposed to throw equipment on the ice. He kind of underhand tossed it. He expressed his frustrations. He didn't do anything overboard. If Nathan McKinnon's going to toe the line, I would much rather that than, you know, throwing a elbow into Kotkaniemi like Connor McDavid did because of the Connor McDavid thing is the kind of thing that may happen again and then they're going to say okay enough is enough we're going to suspend you but what are the chances Nathan McKinnon's ever going to throw a helmet at a guy ever again
0: no zero I exactly <laughs> it's never so
1: even. it's 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 not one of those things that are going to put him on the radar nor is he going to throw a skate at a guy nor is he going to try to cut a guy with the sk- Adam Sandler style happy Gilmore like that's that's not going to happen so I don't have a problem with it. It was unsafe, but it wasn't over the top. It didn't hurt anybody, but all it did was show Connor Garland that I don't care if I'm Nathan McKinnon, one of the best players in the NHL. If you get under my skin in the moment, in the heat of the moment, when I have this helmet in my hand, I'm going to underhand toss it to you, and it's going to scare the crap out of you.
0: How many times have the Avalanche played Arizona now?
1: Uh, One too many times.
0: (laughs) And we heard that from Nathan McKinnon going, into that game right i think it was yes. actually even before the anaheim game. Yes, yes so i see where you're going exactly i just and we've seen the way arizona has played at the avalanche all year long right i mean they've just been trying to get under the the av skin and the avs are like what are you doing we're beating you eight to one you know and they've garland, been crushing them all yeah, year long
1: and garland is one of those players that's always going to come at you he's a little fireball i love his game But you got to remember, the Coyotes came into the season saying, we have to play this team five, six, seven times. If they're going to beat us by six goals like they did, which they did the other night, nine to three, but they did it two games in a row in the playoffs. They beat them seven to one, two games in a row. So they said, if you're going to beat us by six goals, we're at least going to hurt you. Right. So they've been coming at the avalanche hard. It
0: it reminds me of a little brother situation, right? I mean, I don't have a little brother, but I've seen it a hundred times. You have the little brother... Thinking he can be tough against the older brother and the older brother finally gets tired of it, does something, makes the little brother cry, and then who gets in trouble? The older brother, right? Yeah, so five thousand
1: yeah. dollars for Nathan
0: McKinnon. Exactly. So there's goes all his Gatorade sponsorship, probably part of his McKinnon Crunch sponsorship money. His but Lady Bang. He's got extra Bonus. money to blow with those with those uh, you know, endorsements he's gotten this year. Yeah. So why not spend it on something fun like that? And, and yeah, I, I it wasn't the most sportsman. Like uh, move, but I don't think there was a problem with it. And as I said on a hockey show, I also don't think he meant to hit him in the face with the bucket. I think he just had his glove on. He was
1: kind of, yeah, he was kind of doing like that toss, like the here's well, your stupid which helmet. Which is option.
0: His jerk, option is either yeah. A, drop the helmet, not as fun, or B, chuck it at toss him. Toss it at back a.
1: at him. It wasn't even a chuck, dude. It was an underhanded, hocus pocus crap kind of throw. Like... But it's just the way that it, again, I don't think Garland was un, was overselling it, but just the way that he reacted because he wasn't expecting it. Who the hell expects one of the best players in the NHL to throw a helmet at you? But the way that he reacted because he wasn't expecting it until it clicked in his mind was was just what made it all the better and all the funnier.
0: And I think the same with on McKinnon's perspective. I mean, I think you know he could have easily dropped the helmet and skated away, but when he tossed it, he's like, "All right." I just tossed I gotta, the helmet at the yeah. guy. He's going to come after me. If I turn
1: around, he's going to just come at me and uh, yeah. jump me, and then a whole other thing's going to happen. So right. he just went up to him, kind of dead fish skated up to him. Uh, he had more penalty minutes in that segment, 14 pimps to be exact, a double minor for roughing and then the 10 for the misconduct than he did all of last season to win the Lady Bank. And uh, if you remember, last season was the first year of these Zoom calls. So we had a Zoom call with Austin Matthews and Ryan O'Reilly because McKinnon skipped it and then ended up winning the award. And uh, I asked Ryan O'Reilly, did you ever think that this guy would be up for a for a Lady Bing? And he's like, no, he, he must have changed since I remembered him because everybody knows Nathan McKinnon as the little fireball he is where if a fuse hits in him, he's going to do something like that. So it's funny that it's Arizona again because that's the team that he played when he fought Josh Archibald a few years ago. So I have no problem with it. I think it was completely cool, and we haven't even gotten to the best part of it. Which is, the Twitter videos. <laughs> the oh memes. my God! The memes, the gifts, the I posted like five of them on social media. Those things were hilarious. The different songs, the the Pokemon thing. The... Just it was awesome. Shout out to anybody that how many goals did the Avalanche score? One, two, three, four, five, <laughs> six, seven, eight, nine. Like it was so much fun. Those are the parts of social media that I love because people are creative and that's when you start to realize just how creative people can get.
0: And then, you know, you and I both kind of talked about it, how the blues tried to come out and play a little more physical game. Arizona tries to get under the skin of the abs. I mean, you look at the coaches, and that's no surprise, right? I mean, both coaches from both teams were former (laughs) tough guys in the NHL. That's obviously their MO, so they're saying, guys, this is the way to beat them.
1: Yeah, Rick Tockett and Craig Berube. Meanwhile, Jared Bednar is sitting there twirling his thumbs like, okay, Robert Bertuzzo, you're going to lose your mind. We're going to give you some guy named Liam. (laughs) Fight him while we go score goals. So that's what happened.
0: Right on. Well, time to look up ahead and uh, look at who's next because everything's behind us now. We're not going that way. We're going forward. So let's look at the two-game set with Minnesota. Obviously, the last couple games we've seen against Minnesota, the Avalanche dominated them just like they have been. That was part of this 14-game stretch. Do you expect anything different or kind of do you think Minnesota's going to come out a little bit harder, a little bit heavier, a little bit better because they're out to maybe prove something here?
1: So Minnesota's feeling really good about themselves right now because they're in second and, you know, not second. They're they they're creeping up on second place, and they just beat Vegas two games in a row on the road. Um, so they're feeling pretty good about themselves, and they're going back home. The Avalanche just finished a 12-0-2 stretch, most of which were games played at home, and they're going on the road. One of these two teams that are feeling good about themselves are going to lay an egg in the first game. That's just the way these things happen. What the Avalanche are hoping for is that it's not dumb. What the Wild are hoping for is that it's not dumb. But I think it's going to happen. One way or another, the first game is not going to be as close as the second game, in my opinion, which will be, you know, when when everybody listens to this, will be Monday, so later today. Um, But I'm really curious to see what happens. This is a litmus test for one reason. It's what I mentioned earlier. The Avalanche and the Golden Knights played. The Avs took three or four points. They lost that game in overtime, and three on three, it's a coin flip. The game before that, they beat Vegas 5-1. Then Minnesota went into Vegas and beat them twice. The Avalanche had Minnesota a couple of weeks ago and destroyed them 11-1 in two games and made Mike Russo go crying about shots. Um, if the Avs go into Minnesota after having done what they did to St. Louis in the midst of a 12-0-2 stretch and come out with two wins, that'll tell you all you need to know about the competition that this division is going to be for the Avs. It's a very big series because this could be the ultimate separator of Minnesota going home and Vegas already being home and the Blues probably not even making it to the playoffs because they're going to stay home. Thinking and sitting back thinking to themselves, none of us are beating this team.
0: I think the biggest hurdle for Colorado isn't even the Minnesota Wild here. It's themselves because obviously the Avalanche are just playing a way better style of hockey right now. I mean, Minnesota, I know their power play is kind of trash. So the fact that they're nine, ten points ahead of the next couple teams, um, you know, is honestly kind of fascinating. But they're just not the team that the Avalanche are. So what they need to do is just kind of make sure they're not getting comfortable. We already know they're kind of getting tired of the schedule you know, but they took care of business against Arizona. They've been taking care of business, so it hasn't been an issue yet. Just got to make sure it yeah. continues to not be an issue.
1: Yeah, and and we'll see what happens. This is their first road series in quite a while. They played the Coyotes two games on the road. But they're starting a four-game road trip. The other two games are in Anaheim. But I think it's good that they're starting it off against the only other team in the division that's hot right now because that's going to be a nice way for them to prepare themselves for, like you said earlier, only five more home games out of, what, 22 so they they're, they don't have that many more games at home. They're going to need to start getting used to playing on the road. They got four against the Blues on the road. So what better way to start than the only other team in the division right now that's feeling good about themselves?
0: I counted 19 earlier. Was I off?
1: Maybe. Where are we at right now in the season? I don't
0: know, but either way, they're winding down, right? I mean, we're, we're, <laughs> yeah. we're heading down the stretch, and now's the time you want to start playing your best hockey and start, you know— Really getting that momentum to carry into the playoffs. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, there's only 19 games left. You're right. So there's 19 games left, five at home. So that means 12 on the road.
0: Right on. Well, I think that's a a good place to get to the Mile High Sports 3 Stars of the Week, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, before we get there, I just want to say. So the Avalanche, as we've been talking about, they're on this 12-0-2 stretch. They've played 14 games, and in those 14 games, if you look at the stats for their players over these last 14 games, it's almost fascinating, and this is going to kind of tie into the three stars. Over the last 14 games, Gabe Landeskog and Nathan McKinnon have the same stat line, which is pretty fascinating to me because we know McKinnon as a guy that's a point-per-game player. We don't think that of Landeskog, but both of them have eight goals and 13 assists, which is 21 points tied with Sidney Crosby for the most in the NHL in this last month. Miko Rantanen's got 18 points. Janis Donskoi's got 15. Makar's got 10 points in 10 games because he missed four. Taves and Gerard have 10 points. Kadri's got nine. Burakovsky, nine. Nichushkin, nine. Graves, seven. It's crazy how good the stats are of a team where the team is 12-0-2. I think my favorite part of the stat line, if you look at these last 14 games, is everybody's plus-minus because when you're 12-0-2, you've won every single game by the amount of goals the Avs have won. It's hilarious to go down the plus minus and see plus 11, plus 14, plus 15, plus 11, plus 10, plus 14, plus 13, plus 12, plus 14, plus 7, plus 8. And this is over 14 games. By the way, Jacob McDonald's a plus 10 over the last 14 games for some reason. So when you – and oh, yeah, and the other crazy thing is Bowen Byram's only played four games over this 14-game stretch. So that's kind of like the secret weapon, this 19-year-old kid that you have hiding to come in and take Dan Renouf's spot. So when you go into what the Avalanche have done these last 14 games, you start to realize just how historic and good a stretch they're on. That doesn't even include Philip Grubauer's stats and how good he's having and the conversation we're going to need to have as the season winds down about the Vezina trophy. But basically what I'm trying to get at is this team is for real. They are so good. And I know it was a lot of home games. But if they can replicate even a little bit of that on the road, they are going to be flying high come playoff time. And if they win a President's Trophy along the way and a Vezina Trophy-winning goaltender, it's only going to set them up for more
0: success. I think my favorite stat to follow right now is we saw Nathan McKinnon just pass Peter Forsberg for all-time goals in Colorado Avalanche, but who's next? Gabe Landeskog, he's chasing. So now they're yeah. both, hey, you're not going to catch me. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Yeah. So I love the yeah. fact that they're both tied in goals and assists right now on that 14 Over game the last stretch. 14-game stretch. 14-game yeah.
1: yeah, and you know what? I'm kind of glad that you mentioned the Peter Forsberg thing because this is something that I was talking about with somebody at the game yesterday with Peter Baugh. The amount of – okay, so Nathan McKinnon is one of the best players in the NHL. We, we, we know this. Have you seen his stats compared to Peter Forsberg's? Uh, I haven't put him side by side, no. Okay, so I tweeted it and I put it side by side. Forsberg in an Avalanche jersey. So this doesn't include the 95 season in Quebec. In an Avalanche jersey, he played 544 games. McKinnon has played 558. So they're within 14 games of each other. It's the same thing. Peter Forsberg's got 202 goals. McKinnon's got 203. We think of Forsberg as this big playmaker and McKinnon as this big goal scorer. McKinnon has played 14 games more than Forsberg and has one more goal. I know McKinnon hasn't been a point-per-game player every year. The last four years, he's taken off. But that says all you need to know about the kind of player Forsberg is, the level he's on. When it gets to the assists, it's even more wild. McKinnon's got 335 for a total of 538 points. Forsberg's got 503 assists in 544 Avalanche games. So we can sit here and talk about Nathan McKinnon being this amazing player, and he's got a lot of good hockey against... a lot of good hockey ahead of him by the way it's almost 10 p.m sunday so you know sorry to both for both me and jj for tripping over our words so mckinnon's got a lot of good hockey ahead of him but he's only played 14 games more than forsberg has in an avalanche jersey and he's got almost 200 points less if that doesn't tell you the kind of player that forsberg was and how spoiled this franchise was in the early and mid 90s then I don't know what does. And that doesn't include the fact that Forsberg was the second best player behind some guy named
0: Joe Sakic. For me, what's crazy about it is just the uh amount of time that Forsberg spent here, right? It felt like he was such yeah. a staple for so long. For forever. But he was always hurt that the you know, he had a lot of games missed and that the the fact that Nathan McKinnon has already played more games than him and has already been a bigger member of the Avalanche than Peter Forsberg. I mean that speaks volumes right who's your new mount rushmore now so i think forsberg's yeah. still on i it, think but.
1: i think the biggest thing yeah and the biggest thing for peter forsberg is the fact that in his first stint which was the most notable from 96 to 04 the avalanche played a lot of playoff series and that's what kind of separates and makes him all the more notable is the fact that, I mean, look at Brandon Saad with Chicago. Brandon Saad wasn't in Chicago for that long, and then he was traded and then reacquired. But he was there for a whole bunch of playoff runs. So he's always going to be remembered a lot more than somebody who's probably played double as many games as him. And that's kind of that, that Peter Forsberg effect. Yeah.
0: it's crazy stuff, crazy stuff. Um, but, yeah, let's get to the Mile High Sports three stars of the week presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Star number three. Man, every time he makes an appearance, he gets a star. Yo, Nas, yo, Hansen. Yo, Nas, yo, Hansen. Getting his first W in an Avalanche sweater, and he, he did it in in pretty strong fashion.
1: Yeah, and he's, he's a really cool guy to talk to, and I – I said this a little bit earlier, but I gotta say it again. I hate to break it to you, but he is the new JJ in town. Nathan McKinnon called him JJ no, 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 in the post gamer. No, no, no,
0: no, so I liked what I. What I think it was Mile High Hockey tweeted out that they're calling him Yo Yo. I'm going with that. I'm the only JJ in yeah. town. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> if it makes Star it feel- number two, Nathan McKinnon. I mean, obviously he's uh, kind of buzzing right now, on fire. I think that Connor Garland situation really light, lit a fire under him and yeah. he's just scoring some goals and st louis had to pay yeah for it. exactly st louis had to pay for it so seeing him get two goals in one night the other night awesome and then he followed it up with a, another goal last night against st louis uh so scoring both times against st louis three goals it's good stuff
1: yeah three three out of the five goals that the avalanche scored against st louis so McKinnon's seventh in the nhl in points right now and in terms of points per game he's a little bit higher than that he's in fourth Um, behind Panarin. Panarin's always there, man. That guy's so Multi-point games every game. Yeah, so it's McDavid, Dreisaitl, Panarin, McKinnon in terms of points per game. Um, But McKinnon's only got 13 goals. He's got 30 assists in 33 games. See, Those are the kind of seasons that'll catch you up to Peter Forsberg. But he's got 13 goals in 33 games, and three of those goals are in the last two. So it's nice to see him finally scoring goals. I think it's, you know, we're kind of getting spoiled here with McKinnon being like, oh, well, can't you score more well now he uh, is. We
0: only put him on the second star. Yeah, yeah, even though he's playing really great right now, but that's because this next guy—he's no stranger to the Mile High Sports Three Stars of the Week. Jonas Donskoy, obviously with the hat trick, and just this couple of Jonas. Yes, yeah, too too many Jonas's. Um, it's funny—is he Jonas? Have we always called Jonas Donskoy Jonas, or did he just switch since so Johansson's arrival? He
1: he, he kind of goes by Jonas with the double O, is what I remember. Hmm. But I could be wrong. That's confusing. I remember Ryan Clark used to call him Eunice, and I'm like, that's wrong, dude.
0: <laughs> Definitely not Yunus, that's for sure. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the hat trick and just the season he's having in general, obviously love what you're seeing from Donskoy, and playing on that third line is even more spectacular. So, you know, so much ripping on Tyson Jost and his offensive production. Well, obviously Jonas Donskoy doesn't have any problem skating with Tyson Jost.
1: No, absolutely not. And, and the coolest thing about Jonas Donskoy is, like we've said, in 37 games he has 15 goals. He's on pace for over a 30-goal clip in a regular season with over 30 assists for 60 points, and he's barely had a sniff of the top six. And that's what makes him so good right now is the fact that he's providing offense from a lower line, and that's because Nichushkin and Tyson Jose are just doing such a good job with him, and he's only playing 14 minutes a game. So shout-out to Donskoy. He's Donskoy. He's, he's been a very pleasant surprise like a massively big pleasant surprise this season because we thought we knew what we had in him last year which was a serviceable player but he's he's provided to be more than that
0: indeed indeed so we'll see how this momentum carries into the next series like we said minnesota up next big series every series from here on out is a big series so got to stay atop of that west division honda west and got us keep home ice advantage because it seems like it's it's creating a bit of a factor and like we It's going to be a it out, thing it's going to be a yeah. thing
1: Yeah, and and the only way you're going to have home ice advantage, not just for the first two rounds, but for the whole playoffs, is to do exactly what they said they were going to do in 2001, and that's to win the President's Trophy so that you can have that home ice advantage. And if you remember what happened with the Avalanche a couple years ago in San Jose, losing the Game 7, you know that ever since then they've said, we want home ice advantage for Game Sevens, and the only way to do that is to win the President's Trophy, which they're on pace to do right now. So I think that's the goal for this team.
0: Well, President's Trophy Watch, we're on it here at Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast. So thanks for hanging out with us uh, here on a Sunday night. You're probably listening on Monday morning, so enjoy your week. Um, Obviously, enjoy the Avs games coming up, and uh, anything you want to throw out there before we head out?
1: No, that's that's basically it. Go get some sleep, JJ. I think you need it.
0: I think you need it. Sorry. A little bit. All right. Well, thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your heart. Hockey's for everyone, and we got you.